from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. This episode is brought to you by Donner. Check out the show notes to find a good deal at Donner. Like the sound of this? This is the Donner Island Delay and the really cool Donner LP that I've shown off on like Instagram check it out. Uh, they've got some really good summer deals, and check out their snap deals as well. Use the link in the show notes to help support the show. Get yourself some cool musical instruments, maybe some patch chords. Cool. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between Find loose leaf and common broken leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, they have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Greetings, listeners. It is I, D.B. Spitzer, and Farmer Dave, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu Mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leaning. Once more, we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again, we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZOM. Hello, everyone, and welcome to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I am D.B. Spitzer, and that clacking away here on a keyboard, that's Farmer Dave. Farmer it wasn't Dave. me, it was the goats. <laughs> How's it going this week for you, Dave? Uh, it is well. It, it kind of cooled down a little bit, but it's it's good. Maybe, maybe, maybe up on the mountain it's cooled down. In town it is hot. Everyone is down on the river, down on the creek. Well, not on the creek, because that creek's gross. But everyone's down on the Willamette hanging out, trying to keep cool. 
Uh, otherwise, hanging out in, uh, going to the cinema and watching the Apple Dumpling Gang again. Uh, hanging out at uh, Oblivion's, which they have such good AC. I can uh, play Marble Madness or the Tekken game that they have there. Um, but yeah, no, no, it's 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 hot. And the studio, as I've mentioned before, doesn't have AC because um, a billion a billion years ago, when they had a fancy pants uh, news reporter, he said, "Gentlemen, I would like you." If you could, to please get rid of the AC. It's making it hard for me to speak. Um, and that man may or may not have been Adam West. I, uh, I, I don't know. But I, I heard the original plan was to have interns with giant fans and lay them up and down. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there's been a lot of uh, plans on how to get this... Uh, this studio cooled down and most of them involve pneumatic involve the town's pneumatic tubes but that's just it, it, it just creates a that um, I have to use a real high noise gate and then it cuts out like parts of your words so anyway um, but yeah 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 so I'm just gonna sweat uh, to the oldies here uh, you and I being the oldies and the Cthulhu mythos, you know, that's, that's, that's the oldies. Uh, the great, the great oldie ones? The great oldie ones, yeah, sweating to the great oldie ones here in, uh, downtown Oleander at the KZOM radio station. But you're up at the farm, you're up at, uh, Uncle Owen's, uh, goat farm, right? Correct. Correct. Alright, so, today we're talking about some, uh, some aspects of Norlithotep, and then we're going to talk about some of, uh, let's see, we're going to be talking about some D&D classes, we're going to be talking about barbarians, bards, clerics, and druids, so hold on to your hats, and, uh, yeah. Oh, man. Yes. Sorry, that was the pneumatic tube opening up, I was trying to get it to cool down in here. Oh, did it blow off your hat? No, I'm not wearing a hat. I'm wearing headphones. Oh. But yeah. Anyway, so uh, this week with Narlethotep, we are talking about, uh, let's see, we are talking about the beast. It's a worldwide creature. Uh, it, it's, it's known as having a cult or a brotherhood of the beast. It's uh, a little bit with uh, Nefroka. And um, it it manifests as like a multi-headed sphinx, almost like with five heads splitting out as 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 your as your hands radiate, and it's indescribable. But it's supposed to be the sphinx, and it's it, anyway. What do you got on? Uh... So there's there's not a lot. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of tangently mentioned in Imprisoned with the Pharaohs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's really, however, going to be um, much more codified when it comes up with uh, uh, Chaosium's uh, role-playing game, especially uh, The Day of the Beast. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, w I want to say there's some masks of Narlethotep in there, but you know what... The I could be thinking of, of a different uh, Brotherhood of the Beast. And that's a huge book, so... Yeah. And I have to admit, I'm, I've not... 
I, I mean, I have the original one, the, the smaller one, uh -huh. which I've completely forgotten, and I'm, I'm actually playing as a character in a, a play-by-post oh, cool. uh, mask of Narlahotep, and I'm only, at, or Narlahotep, but I'm only at like 20%. Uh-huh, uh -huh. okay. Cool. Um, uh, remember, if you can, to stay at Hotel El Stupido, because the, uh, the, the... Um, Hotel Mulan. It's those. Those are those, those are the bad ones. The whichever one okay. is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that is a joke for anyone who listened to the Yog Sothoth radio plays back in 2004, 2005, when they did Masks of Narlothep, Narloth, Narlethotep, and they didn't want to stay at the fancy motels, so they um. Like, well, is there any kind of, like, stupid hotel that we can stay at? And the DM just was like, or the Keeper of Arcane was Lord's, like, very quick on his feet. And was like, oh, yes, there's Hotel El Stupido that you can stay at. Anyway, um, I've been always wanting to create Hotel El Stupido t-shirts, but I, I don't want, like, uh, Paul of Cthulhu to, like, get mad at me for ripping him off. Anyway. It, yes, exactly. Exactly. So so here's the interesting thing about the beast. Sure, yeah. Now, you know, imprisoned with the pharaohs <laughs> was almost surely completely written by Lovecraft. Well, yeah. Or most. Yeah. But it's it's ghost written for Harry Houdini. Yeah. Houdini is the main character. Yeah. So think of it, you know, Houdini is a character in the Cthulhu Mythos. Yeah. And I always, you know, we talk about all these nameless characters. I wonder if any of them might have been Houdini. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, there could be nameless characters that are Houdini. Um, and, and Houdini, of course, is, is, a, is a materialist and an atheist. <laughs> and though he's culturally very Jewish, um, he does not believe in any spiritualism. Yeah. But in a world where it exists, maybe he had an experience hmm. but my point was it's very it's possible yeah if not maybe likely the beast was created by houdini it mm -hmm. probably was created by lovecraft yeah because we lovecraft didn't really say i mean it's assumed that almost all the story was written by lovecraft yeah because houdini was so busy definitely but it, it, it it's possible mm -hmm. that maybe he threw out the idea for this so, in your mind, Canon, is, is, sorry, it's, it's just really hot in here. I'm trying to cool it down. Is there any other stories that you think may be written, not written by Houdini, but like, you know, Houdini could have been the nameless character. If Houdini's the nameless character in that one story with multiple names, what about other stories that, like don't mention the narrator's name and you know the narrator doesn't you know commit suicide and isn't punched in the stomach by college kids um <laughs> so so am i true headcanon yeah no okay but what if what if Houdini was sinjin's partner in the hound Oh, ooh. That gives a completely different understanding. Yeah. Or what if, what if Houdini, before he became this, this, um, not as likely, but before he became this world's famous, um, 
you know, escape artist, went to medical school and studied with Herbert West. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, okay. I was thinking more along the lines of what if Houdini was friends with um, Gilman? What if Houdini, um, you know, did some research? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's. I, I feel like there could be like various, like even um, background characters that are, are are Houdini. Like, what if Houdini was in the library of Miskatonic University when Wilbur Waitley came in? I mean, could have been research yeah, and stuff. Yeah. You know. and, and you know, another one that I'm picking, nameless character. Uh huh is the the parapsychologist that fights the spirit of the evil clergyman oh yeah yeah and again 90 year old story mm -hmm. but at the end he kind of wipes out the spirit with ultraviolet light yeah but it turns him in so he physically looks like the evil clergyman it may even created glasses on his face oh yeah, yeah. maybe that's why houdini had to fake his death <laughs> Just saying, maybe he pulled an Elvis, and maybe immortal time-traveling Houdini and Elvis are going through space and time and and fighting uh, the mythos. But, yeah, yeah. Or what he, about what what about that time that uh, Houdini made it to the high house on the uh, high house on the the cliff or high house on the hill or high house on the uh, whatever you call it? Yeah, no, and and, and I and I, you know. And there's some even sort of third-party story. What if he's the person that, you know, saw the, the, the police officer freak out in, um, in uh, the horror of Red Hook? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, the few, the few third-party stories might be told by him. Oh, sure, Or third-person sure. stories, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, 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 definitely, definitely. There could be a lot of these, like, and then I killed myself, or the, no, it comes through the window. It's like, well, Houdini is actually telling the story of something that he read. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm, I, this is this is kind of like goofy headcanon, but Absolutely. I, don't, I don't know. Or, or what if Houdini was an avatar of Narahotep? Well, yeah, even you mean, what if that. the doc he got the Doctor Dexter treatment? Ooh. <laughs> What's the Dr. Dexter treatment for people out there who aren't paying attention or don't know? So Dr. Dexter is a throwaway character. Sure. And, um... Oh, uh... Haunt Her in the Dark. Okay. And he he goes ahead and he throws away the Shining Trapezoid, yep. which t brings in... The uh, avatar of Narlathotep. Sure. But then, after Lovecraft died, uh, Robert Block, who is you know most famous for writing the novel that Psycho is based on, yeah, basically has Doctor Dexter possessed by uh, Narlathotep, and he basically becomes a partner in the creation of the atom bomb in an attempt for America, for the world to destroy itself, for human race to destroy itself. You don't say. I do say. So, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like we've been able to, like, get quite a bit out of this, uh, 
this very specific um, the beast which doesn't have a huge amount of information on it other than it's this 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 um, sphinxy faced thing yeah. that's hard one to other, describe one other thing though about them yeah that this is the form of uh, Narlahotep that is worshipped by um, Kaafan and Nitocris. Yes. So this is the form of that Nitocris worships. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Keith Herber also used this form of Narlathotep and fungi from Yugoth. <coughs> which I can't remember if it's a story or if it is a RPG. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, check that out if you want to check out the original background. Um, up next, we have the Black Bull, also Egypt, in the form of a bull or a human, Narlethotep will become the herald of the end times in disguise. The heads of the cult are mummies who share a special hatred with the Brotherhood of the Black Pharaoh. Um, and this is from Imzikendashtayes, uh, um, which my German is, is, is not good enough to translate by shoot. Um, and and uh, something Dave and I were talking about beforehand were cultures where there is like uh, bull iconography this could also be like not just Egypt or 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 parts of uh, cultures that uh, revered or worshiped aurochs or anything any any large uh, quadruped with uh, horns like you could have like a black stag which I'm just like Okay, yeah. There's no black stag, but, you know, it's like you could have a horned animal that's just black that is also kind of like an aspect of this aspect. <laughs> shades within shades. Uh, and mummies, I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be like an Egyptian-style mummy. It could be a, a, a bog mummy or a salt mine mummy or any other kind of mummies you could think of. Dave, Dave what, what kind of mummies can you think of? Well, so tr trivia fact, I actually went and saw a mummy exhibit in a museum of, uh, about, oh, 10 years ago. Sure. The only continent that does not have mummies is Antarctica. <laughs> that we know of. That we know of. Uh, and, you know, of course, uh, According Latin to America Lovecraft. has quite a few mummy traditions. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I, I'm a big fan of... of, of you know, not just the 1950s atomic horror movies. Sure. Uh, uh, you know, Latin American uh, mummies, but just the whole concept in general. Yeah. yeah. So, and um, mummification can also be. I learned in my, in this, uh, it's it can be a natural process. Yes. Oh yeah. So we think of it as, as you know what they do in Egypt and South America, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it can actually happen naturally too. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that most mummies are actually animals. Really? Most mummies most mummies that are found, if you find... Or, no, so most mummified bodies that are found uh -huh, uh -huh. are animals because oh, of the yeah. natural process. Yeah, they yeah. Did not, they, they did not dissolve and, you know, biodegrade. So 
yeah, there are actually more animal. So let's take this back to the bull. Yeah. You know, maybe it's a, a mummified bull. Ooh, or a mummified auroch or a mummified stag. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I like this. And it's it's a herald of the end times or a guise of the end times. I mean, it's, it's, it's like there it says, um, the herald of the end times in this guise. But, you know, it's like, what if it's manipulating people into thinking the end times are coming to cause even greater havoc? Um, this was not the avatar that uh, possibly Houdini saw in the play, or, or in the, 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 the uh, poem short story, Narlethotep. Um, you know, that, that was, I think, like more like the black man or no it's 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 more like just like Narlethotep the the physical manifestation of Narlethotep but I don't know it's 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 like the the black bull uh is supposed to be human or a bull and it, it it's like hey the end times are coming and it's worshippers or mummies I mean that's ah that's that's a pretty cool thing it's like you could have all kinds of different mummies, all kinds of different large things. Place it. Woo! Wow! Oh, hey, what's going on outside? Uh, so, so we have purchasers of milk on, on our property. That's okay. People have got that taken care of. So you don't want to cut that part out. But no problem. We also here at the farm have a dog bell. Aha! It tells us when we have visitors. Okay. You can also cut that out, or oh, sure, yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, with the black bull, I, I like the idea of like a mummified bull, like not you know, and 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 I'm not saying like a bull in rags going that smells like a spice cabinet going uh, that slowly backs away from fire and puts curses on people and can spit scarabs and stuff like that. What if it is a bog mummy orac that's like jet black and like you know came out of the bogs in i don't know uh 10 bce in uh england or what's now known as england or like uh what's now known as uh what do you call it the uh the moors scotland yeah yeah but you know something that came out of the the, the bog that you know they didn't know how quite to put back that you know demanded things and then you have an adventure that takes place on the scottish moors in an old castle you know throwing some ghosts in there and stuff like that you've got yourself a stew baby <laughs> an adventure yeah, and stew. something else and you know kind of you know harping back on on dr dexter uh-huh uh -huh. the yeah as the messenger of the god mm -hmm, mm -hmm. he is the harbinger of the end of mankind oh yeah 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 so it's not just like i said it's not just dexter who goes and studies nuclear physicists and you know helps america create the atom bomb and mm -hmm, hopes mm -hmm. to start world war three yeah that that the many of these aspects of mr n are going to try to lead to the subjugation or the destruction of the human race yeah 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 definitely definitely and i don't know um 
there could be rituals of the black bull that lead to gaining knowledge not necessarily for atomic warfare but like knowledge beyond what the standard human knows at, at, at any given time especially if this is more of a prehistoric or uh early foundation of humanity kind of like i don't know came out of mesopotamia settled down in egypt for a while and disappeared and shows up from here to there uh, once in a while still has worshippers here and there and yeah yeah maybe uh, maybe this is where the Minotaur comes from maybe this is um, you know you have like maze type uh, centers of worship mazes mummies and mim Minotaurs that sounds like a good game to me mm, <laughs> M M and M yeah. better than just M and M Triple M <laughs> Let's play some Triple M tonight. MQ. Mazes, mummies, and minotaurs. Yeah. <laughs> you have to use maces and uh, morning stars. <laughs> and, and you can play magi? You can play magi, yeah. <laughs> Magis and marshals? Exactly. <laughs> All right, enough... Uh, enough of me laughing at my own junks oh and and monks too monks yeah yeah you can you can only use m lettered things and that's that's the creative part of it is like what can i light my way that starts with an m matches i buy matches <laughs> using money <laughs> okay i i invented a an, a a a uh, improv uh rpg that i don't want to play all right, okay. so I think that's enough for Narlethotep and the Black Bull and the Beast. Uh, up next, we're going to be talking about some D&D classes. And uh, Dave may or may not have something for us the middle part. I'm not going to sweat it if he does or doesn't. I will. Okay. I promise you. Unless you, I don't, then I don't. But I promise you, the listeners, I will. All right. Hey everyone, it's me, it's Farmer Dave, and uh, we're going to talk about my latest obsession, and that is Paper Girls, which is on Amazon Prime now, the first season, and I've got to say, especially the first episode, uh, I think is as good as, if not maybe even better than the actual uh, source material, and, and I love the graphic novels. Also, by the time we're done, we're going to, we're going to because we are the people's guide to the Cthulhu mythos, uh, we're going to talk about how this might actually fit in to a greater Lovecraftian universe. And I think that the, uh, the comic books and the graphic novels, they're definitely something I think everybody is familiar with. I definitely was. At least, maybe I should change that. Recognize the title, recognize the cover... Uh, the iconic picture of the four uh, preteen girls riding the bicycles. Uh, but I didn't really know that much about the story. There were several times I nearly picked it up uh, and at the last moment uh, regrettably picked up something else. 
Um, I didn't, even until uh, the series had come out, wasn't quite aware that it was a time travel story. Now, I'm going to try to keep spoilers to a minimum, but the, the there will be something sneaking through. Uh, I just can't really do this without at least some spoilers. And so, I really like the TV show. It works best for me the same way that the comics, which I've now up to about, of 30, I'm up to about issue 20, so I've still got a little bit more to go on the comics. But I think it works best, both the TV show and the comics, when it focuses on the girls themselves. Uh, the friendship, the dynamics, and the actresses that they hired are, are amazing. They really, really do capture not only the look, but more importantly, the feel of the, you know, the Fab Four uh, time travelers. Now, let's sort of address maybe some complaints that people have about the series, uh, specifically the TV series. And I've heard that the graphics are basically serviceable to atrocious. And absolutely, I agree that Amazon should have put more money into it. But with COVID, a lot of visual graphics CGI was backed up, is behind. A lot of people think that things are being rushed out at a lower quality. And, and to be honest, I have a very tolerant, I'm very tolerant towards bad CGI. It just doesn't bother me, and, and I wouldn't say this is bad, there's some I think that are even rather impressive, but I get a lot of nitpicking, you know, that when the sky turns pink, the color of the grass should have changed. Um, you know, to me, I can live with that, because the show, the focus on the show, is the relationship and the growth of the four main characters, and how even though they may be 12, they become, they experience things and grow in ways adults don't. And that becomes apparent uh, when they meet some of their future selves. Now, the other complaint that I've heard about the show is that it's a Stranger Things clone. Well, you know, the graphic, the first issue of the comics was out six months before Stranger Things was released. Uh, so they were basically in productive production about the same time, at least the, the comics were. And I love Stranger Things. It is a very well-produced, acted, written show, absolutely. But it did not invent the kids on bikes trope. And it, you know, part it, parts of them are set in the 80s, you know, it's not the same story, it's not the same creatures, it's not the same 80s experience. Um, and, you know, when Stranger Things first came out, people were saying it was a Goonies ripoff or it was a Stand By Me ripoff. And I didn't believe that in the same way I don't believe that Paper Girls is a... Um, Stranger Things ripoff. Now, did Amazon decide because of the success of Stranger Things 
that this is the time to release the show. Maybe. And it also may be the reason they're just really not backing it in the way I think they should. Uh, it was... It was released only within 30 days after the first trailer. Uh, it was all released as eight episodes at once instead of as a weekly project. Um, Amazon, I just don't think it's back the way that the uh, show deserves. So the first episode is almost as perfectly an adaptation of the first graphic novel as can be there are some cosmetic changes uh, tiffany is no longer a hispanic she's african-american uh, aaron is no longer vietnamese she's chinese uh, probably because they hired ali wong uh, to play the older uh, aaron now which is just great though one of the things uh, many of you may or may not know is that ali wong is predominantly a comedian so she brings this, what all good comedians have, is just this magnificent sense of timing. And I would say uh, she's you know, very experienced, uh, done a lot of voice acting recently, too. Uh, and the, the four lead girls, which they play 12-year-olds, but three of them are 15, and, and the girl plays Mac is 16 when they filmed, but they pass off well enough. Um, they, they all hold their own against a very experienced, very talented uh, Ali Wong. There's a few other changes uh, that are made that if you weren't really familiar with the source material, you may not have caught, but it, it, it makes sense. Uh, one of them is that when they return to Mac's house, uh, her stepmother, Alice, isn't there. Uh, and this changes things not things but how and again i don't want to give too many clues out or too many spoilers so the same thing happens in the house but alice's part isn't part of it um and alice becomes sort of different later on in the show um but the changes are relatively minor and i would say it's extremely accurate then it goes off in another direction and they did this on purpose because they didn't want people to just sit down and get onto wikipedia and find out how the comic book art went and assume that's what's going to happen in the series and so i think they did a very good sort of balance especially like i said that first episode i was so impressed that they basically captured, as well as I think could be on TV, the first graphic novel. And then they started stretching out in different ways, but I was still, they're true to the spirit. They're true to the spirit of the characters, that even though there's some difference, and there's some new characters, and I wouldn't even, you know, there, there are new characters, but... They're kind of based on characters that are later seen in the book. I am happy and content with way that they went, even though it was in different directions, it's true to the spirit of the story and character. Now, most of the reviews 
again, not counting the CGI, have been extremely faith, uh, favorable. And really hope that uh, they'll continue this story uh, with a season two. Now, the problem with something like this is even though the girls are 16 playing 12 years old, their bodies are going to change soon. Um, and, that, you know, that's just the way it is. And so this first season was rushed. And rushed, I don't mean in a bad way. It doesn't show that it was done quickly. But it was done very tight schedule in four months. I could see this. And, and the 30 episode or 30 issue comic book is a full contained story with and I think they're going to do this with this series and either two or three seasons. But like I said, Amazon's really not been supporting this series despite the favorable reviews, the favorable uh, fan reaction. Uh, I think they would get a lot more value slash money out of it if they invested a little bit more in it. So we don't know yet if there is going to be a, at least a season two or a season three, but hopefully there will be. Now I want to talk about something that's in the comic books that not in the series much, and or in the TV series as of now, and that is something I think is very Lovecraftian, and that is these beings of the fourth dimension. So these beings of the fourth dimension, they almost look like geometric shagas. Uh, they're like pyramid shaped or cone shaped, and they have tentacles and eyes, and they seem very, very much as if they belong in the, you know, the background of Cthulhu mythos. Now they are not at least from what I can see in the first 20 comics or so, it may change as a, and may have to do a, a, a rata, uh when I get to the end, but they do not seem to be particularly hostile towards the girls or human beings, but they do, they don't even seem to acknowledge their existence, but they affect them. And one way is, as we see in the, the girl from, uh, you know, 15th century BCE, um, is that it affects the dreams. That's why they, they call them the dream beings. They think they're, they're sort of gods. Uh, and we see these warped sort of, you know, hero's journey dreams in the girls and other people. Um, and when they touch, they have an effect on the human beings that don't seem to be planned it's not malignant it's not you know they're not hostile towards the human beings but it does affect them and the, this is we see in Tiffany who is the overachiever in the the TV series but it focuses and there's like two pages where it shows all the time that she's played video games and she becomes very frustrated with her life that this being had shown her how much time she played video games and she begins to think she's a waste. What we find out later episodes is that 
her life, although on the surface, is very good, and it is, there are things of being an adopted, and, and in the comic books, she's up front, she knows that she's adopted, um, you know, Hispanic to a, a mixed, you know, white, and I believe Hispanic parents, there are a lot of pressures and prejudices put on her that she can't deal with on the surface as you know a six to a twelve year old girl and so the video game is her coping mechanism yet when this fourth being fourth dimensional being sort of shows her how much time she spent playing these video games it gives it no context. Not the context that we are going to see come like graphic novel uh, number four, where we kind of, we as the reader get this understanding of why she's like this, why she did this. And so Tiffany begins to doubt herself and think that she's wasted her life, you know, which is a terrible thing for a 12 year old. But it doesn't seem to be that this fourth dimensional being meant that. Did, like it didn't mean to cause dreams. It just is a byproduct of its existence and the existence on with creatures from the material plane, which I think is very Lovecraftian. And the same thing when KJ touches it. And again... This is going to be sort of a spoiler, but I think KJ becomes one of the most complex, interesting characters, I think, in all of fiction. And she is a rich Jewish girl who is growing in to be a protector, especially a protector of women, and she doesn't know why. She doesn't quite understand than where this is coming from because she's 12 years old. Well, part of it is because her grandmother survived the Holocaust. But part of it also, and, and this is a spoiler, but I think anybody who's seen the first episode kind of realizes it before KJ does, is she's a lesbian. And this creature basically shows her a vision in the future of her kissing another girl. Um, in the TV show, it's a little bit different. She sees the future version of her with her girlfriend. But in this, in the comic books, it's the byproduct of touching this fourth dimensional being. And, you know, KJ basically says, why, why would I kiss Matt? And then she sort of thinks about, oh, I get it. And she sort of accepts her sexuality a lot more, maybe in an unrealistic way. They may have portrayed a 12-year-old from 1988 coming to grips with her sexuality in a more accurate way uh, in the TV show. But, you know, this is the traumatic, this is the changing point with KJ. Um, it's also important in the comic book as opposed to the TV show. And again, this is spoilers, and I don't mean this to be gross because it's a very key point. K 
KJ is the first to get her period, not Aaron, as in the TV show. And the reason why this is important is that KJ changes on her journey. She goes from the girl to the woman. Even though physically she's still 12, she becomes the protector. She becomes the mother. She becomes, to some extent, the adult in the group when there are no other adults. And she has to come with, I mean, come to grips with her own sexual identity. And it's thrust upon her, like I said, not seeing future herself, but having a vision bestowed on it by this creature. Um, and to the creature, we don't seem, it, it doesn't, it seems to be a natural reaction between the interaction between the creature from the fourth dimension as and something from the material plane, which I think is very Lovecraftian. It makes me think of, you know, from beyond of the creatures that are revealed from, you know, the Tilling Gas Machine. Uh, it makes me think of the Hounds of Tenedalus. You know, just this whole sort of concept that we are like bugs to them. The fourth dimensional creatures didn't seem at least, and maybe I'll change my mind when I, I read the last two graphic novels, which I've got on order, they don't seem to be persecuting the girls, but there seems to be a natural reaction that comes from creatures from two different planes of existence. And the human beings interpret this in the ways that they can or that they understand. So hopefully I've got you more excited about watching the series and reading the books uh, and not giving you too much to sort of spoil it for you. But uh, I really highly recommend both the series and the TV show. Hey, uh, this is Farmer Dave and uh, this has been kind of my corner hey of the show today. It's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Clary. Clary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Clary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20 watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under $80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes. Get a Glary. Prepare for a spine tingling, nerve shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Here your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher 
or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com. Check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shelf curtains in there. Keep clean, look cool, have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. with D&D on D&D. Today we're going to try and talk about a couple of classes. Uh, first up, we are talking about... Oh, wait a minute. Dave, can you explain what a character class is? Yeah, sure. I can. It's, you know, and then it's like, yeah, and it's that. And, and, and you know, and then that. So it's kind of like your job. Okay. It's kind of like what you do as for a career when your character grows up. Okay. And also it kind of like governs kind of what kind of skills you have, what kind of equipment you start with. And how much damage you can take. How much damage you can take, proficiencies that you have that other classes don't, and that's the Whether thing. or not you can do magic. Whether or not you could use magic or martial weapons or simple weapons or exotic who knows but yeah yeah like what you can and can't do is kind of governed by your class your race and whatever feats you take so yes. barbarians uh, best thing to know about barbarians is barbarians get 1d12 uh, hit dice per level a little bit of uh, barbarian history yeah so barbarians first appeared in the first published Unearthed Arcana okay. uh, for D&D, Advanced D&D. <laughs> and this is going to be greatly based on the Marvel interpretation of Conan. Of, of Conan, exactly. Much more than, say, Robert E. Howard's interpretation sure. of Conan. Yeah. But that's why we will see that they get bonuses without armor. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, because if we go off of, like, historical barbarians, it's like, you know, it's it's basically <laughs> not, not too different from what anyone else is doing. They're just from a different region. <laughs> and they speak a different language, and they sound like they're saying, bar, 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 bar. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
All right. Um, so, let's see. What kind of other stuff? Let's see. They get a plus D12 per level. Um, they get... And this is actually based on probably a true thing. Go for it. And, or, yeah, um, Berserker Rage. Oh, yeah. So, Berserkers apparently were real bike, and biking again is a career, but they were a real class of Scandinavian warriors during that time that would get themselves into a frenzy. Yeah. Um, and, and also, just to let people know that schizophrenia does run in Scandinavians pretty. Um, anyway, yeah, yeah, it's... it's. I, I think it's like... Um, anyway, I, I... <laughs> and, well, and, and also, I think it was... Part of it was reputation. Yeah, yeah. You know, that the, they the, they tried to build it up to scare people, but there were definitely certain designated warriors that were known for losing their stuff. Sure, definitely, definitely. And that that's sort of the core barbarian skill. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, skills uh, barbarians can choose from are animal handling, athletics, intimidation, nature, perception, and survival. Uh, they're good with simple weapons, martial weapons, they don't start with any tools, and they can use uh, light armor, medium armor, and all shields. But they get bonuses if they have no armor. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. There's some pretty cool things that come along with uh, being a bard, but I, I highly recommend going to either D&D Beyond or 5ESRD.com and checking out what they have to say. Uh, both are free to use, but if you want to use anything more uh, substantial, you have to pay money for it at D&D Beyond. So up next we have one of my favorite classes of all times, the Bard. Uh, it's, uh, uh, where does Bard come from, Dave? Well, so, I mean, there have always been musicians. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're mean historically, correct? Yeah. So there have always been musicians. Um, and... and I think the, the the concept of bard, as I remember, is also Scandinavian, and these are going to be yes musicians. Uh -huh. They're going to be storytellers. They're going to be legend keepers. Okay. And, and again, they came originally the first that I came to, and probably in Dragon Magazine, <laughs> was in the original uh, AD and D players manual. Okay. And they were in the appendix. Okay. And then you had to do this crazy things to become a bard. You couldn't start off first level bard. Mm -hmm. You had to be a fighter for so many levels, and then a thief so many levels, and then I think you had to go and do some magic user levels. Yeah. And so in all the decades that I played AD&D, I only knew one guy who was bard. <laughs> I, I mean, one guy actually sat for from the beginning. I think he's, you know, started. And so I only met 
one player character box. Um, now, you know, since I think two, uh, second edition, yeah, they've been their own separate class, and you don't have to do these just ridiculous things. But um, yeah, so they weren't even in the regular player's handbook originally. They were in the appendix with monks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, first edition, I only ever played a fighter, and then second edition is when I was like, ooh, I can play a bard now, and I don't have to, like, juggle things around. Uh, 1980s, you're awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I love bards, and I've played bards in nearly every edition, just as I've also played half-elf, multi-classers in every edition. But, yeah. And... I think that they have, I think that they've, I think around the 5th edition they finally kind of gotten barred. I won't say the others are wrong, Yeah. but I, I think they've really kind of got the idea of what, what a bard should be. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's based around dexterity and charisma. Um, they can play all kinds of instruments of, you know, choose whatever instruments they want to play. They benefit from light armor. They know how to use light armor, simple weapons, hand crossbows, long swords, rapiers, and short swords. I generally go with rapiers because they get the uh, the dex bonus uh, as as opposed to the strength bonus. And I always make uh, bards who are like way more dexterous than they are strong, just because. I'd, I'd rather be a jump around person than a stand there and take it person. So. <laughs> and I, I think that they've, they've raised they've raised um, the damage done by rapier. Yeah. I, it's sort of this uh, is a definitely a a bonus to or a gift to the bard class. Certainly, certainly. Uh, bard and thieves uh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and they get to choose any three skills. Not like any three skills of like a long list. Any three skills of the skills that are available. So that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. They get all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, one of my favorites things that they get is Jack of All Trades, which is um, starting at second level, you can add half levels to your proficiency bonuses, round down to any ability uh, check you make that doesn't already include your proficiency bonus. So say that you don't have, what, um, I don't know, say that you don't have um, Intimidate, and but you've got a charisma of five, so you get like plus two to intimidate, even though you don't have uh, it is a spell or it is a skill. So that's something that's kind of cool. And also, you could do all kinds of fun stuff with music to help out your crew, hurt other people. Uh, at some level, you get the ability to say mean things to people, and it's like it's it's like does physical damage it does like 1d4 plus something damage and yeah plenty of red levels too like first or second level yeah 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 uh they get uh ritual casting spell focus all kinds of fun stuff like that um and 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 even cantrips i mean it's it's they get two cantrip spells but that's that's still better than nothing so 
Um, you know, for the first couple levels, and then at, like, fourth level. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's Bards. Uh, anything you wanted to say about Bards? But, you know, just one of the things you said, you know, where do Bards come from? Mm-hmm. I- I've never seen it written, but I really think that Gygax at all were really thinking, or when they, when they did come up with this, uh, the legend of, um, and I always butcher this, I mean, I, I can't, um, Taliesin, who okay. was a bard that is sometimes even associated with uh, King Arthur. Ah. Okay. That's that's way better than what my guess was. It's uh, something about Shakespeare, you know. <laughs> but I know that the the term bard had to come from something before Shakespeare. It wasn't like one of those words he made up. But you know. no, no I, I think the original bards. The, uh, were Scandinavian, yeah, and that they were brought, and then we're gonna get hate letters, but I, I, I think that they were brought to England, or at least the word bard was brought to England when uh, the Norman conquest. Okay, that makes sense to me. Okay, after that we have uh, another fun uh, class to play, in my opinion, uh, and that is clerics. So. <laughs> Clerics, um, pretty kind of like middle of the road hit dice. They get uh, D8. Uh, they have wisdom and charisma are their best things to have. They can choose from history, insight, medicine, persuasion, and religion. They get to choose two of those. Uh, they don't start out with any tools. They get to use simple weapons, and mostly that's like bludgeoning type stuff. And, uh, yeah, they can cast divine spells and get a divine domain to, uh, start with. Yes, and, and I mean, cleric, clergy of different religions is going to be very important oh, yeah. in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. But I think, again, when we look at where Gygax was influenced, uh-huh. He would have been influenced, I think, mainly by the military orders, the Templars, the Crusaders, the Hospitallers, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, the Knights of Malta. Sure. So, uh, other than, uh, and I'm sure when they were putting it together, they were, wait a minute, our people are getting hurt, we need to heal them somehow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they, that's why they came up with clerics. But especially the early editions, they seemed very... They, they seem more like military orders. Yeah. Especially before the 12D hit. 8D was a pretty strong hit, five, hit points per level originally. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and especially since um, there were four... I don't think there are any D4s left anymore. I think they're now D6 to D12. Okay. But originally it was D4s to D10. Mm-hmm. So 8 was... On the higher level, tens were reserved for fighters, so they were rather militaristic. And then there was D12, the barbarian dice, the thing that yes. you use for great axes and rolling up your barbarian's hit points, and that was the only use for it. <laughs> and originally, there's now quite a bit of flavor, but originally sure. in D&D, basic D&D, AD&D, advanced D&D, mm-hmm. the limitation on all clerics 
no matter who they worshipped, was they could not draw blood. Yeah, yeah. And that's based on some militant order in the Middle East sometime. Yeah. I mean, but but it was a game conceived. <laughs> and eventually, a Dragon Magazine sort of said, well, you know, the first thing was, well, okay, let them use blade weapons. And that was just conceived heresy. Yeah. But, yeah. but let them do it at, minor, at lower damage. So a D6 instead would do a D4. It's like a D6 sword or would do a D4. It'd do a step down. Yeah. Then came this idea, well, wait a minute. You know, if a lot of these like, uh, Norse gods, their Odin's holy weapon is a spear. Yeah. Or, you know, if you worship, if, if you worship a, Tempest, why don't you have a longsword? If you worship Bane, why don't you have a backstabbing dagger? I, I, I'm probably messing up what those uh, weapons of choice were for those those in like second. I can't remember if it was second or 2.5 that that kind of stuff came out. But I was excited to have a cleric who could use a longsword. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and at first they came out like sort of articles sure. or or almost, like I said, heresies. And yeah. I, I don't think I knew anyone who used it in advanced Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> uh, in fact, I even once got called out as a GM in AD&D that I was having, some guy was just whopping uh, his opponent, he was a cleric, with a, a maze. And I said, okay, you know, you've broken skin, he's bleeding. He said, no, I can't do that, I'm a cleric. And I said, well, okay. <laughs> but uh, you know, and I was trying to put like realistic wounds in. Uh -huh. um, so that was that was the original sort of what would counter the healing abilities. Sure, yeah. So they limited the weapon, mm -hmm. um, and eventually, I don't, I don't know of anyone who plays the clerics. Of all deities, have to use blunt weapons anymore. Sure. Yeah. 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 It's just that you have to use like simple weapons. Um, but yeah, no, no clerics. You you mentioned this just a moment ago. Clerics are your people that bless things. They can create and uh, purify water. They can detect good and evil. They can detect magic. They can detect poison and disease. They can do all kinds of things like heal you, purify things. Uh, they, they they get their magic from their god, and uh, depending on who you choose, uh, you get a little something extra. So that's something to look forward to. And uh, as I said before, check out the uh, the D and D Beyond or the SRD at Five uh, E SRD. It's what I use. Okay, so, and the last one we're going to be covering before we uh, head off into the sunset is, uh, come on, pop up, you goof. Druid! We are doing alphabetical, and, oh man, for a moment there I thought Druid was 1d6, and I said, who would ever play a Druid if they're 1d6? But it's 1d8, middle of the road. Uh... I, I think they might have been 1d6 in advance. Yeah, yeah. At, at one point in time, I think Warlock was 1d6, but 
Yeah, no, no. It's 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 like your magic user who's not quite a wizard, but not quite a this and not quite a that. So 1d6, 1d8 makes sense for druids because they get to do so much cool stuff. Uh, so you've got a 1d8 per level. Uh, your your uh, intelligence and your wisdom is where everything comes from. You can use light armor, medium armor, shields, but druids do not wear or use armor made of metal. Uh, clubs, daggers, darts, javelins, maces, quarterstaffs, scimitars, sickles, slings, spears, and sibilant s's. Uh, herbalism kits is uh, what you're going to find them with, and they get to choose from two of the following: arcana, animal handling, insight, medicine, nature, religion, television, VCR repair, and survival. I think you made one of those up. I did. Uh, they get to do cool stuff like cast druidic spells. Then they get the coolest of cool druid things, wild shape. Dave, do you want to talk about wild shape for a moment? So wild shape, and it depends, of course, you know, which circle you take. But wild shape is turning into animals. Yeah. Uh, and there's some sort of, you know, protections to prevent it from becoming too overpowered. Uh -huh. They've got to be animals you've seen, and they can only be a certain CR. Yeah. Uh, and I think you have to be, like, fourth level or so before you can do, like, water skills, and, like, eighth or so before you can do, you know, flying animals. But in a lot of ways, they become the ultimate weak on. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's definitely, like, um, people being, like, uh, raccoons and stuff like that is, 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 like, fun for early levels. But I've had people try and be like, can I be an Aboleth? And I'm like, what level are you, third? And it's like, no, I'm fourth level. Like, no, it, how, no, no, no. So, so the most common that I see... <laughs> Bears? Cats. Cats, oh. Cats, because they get, because first of all, no one, no one, you know, people see cats and like if you go into a village. Sure, yeah. You get high decks, you get night vision. Mm -hmm. So, um, I see with people playing druids, I see a, at least at low level, a lot of, of transforming into cats. Gotcha. But one of the most effective, I think, is giant spiders. Ooh. Because then you can spin webs, climb on walls. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And with the newer, if you're killed or you lose your hit points, uh -huh. even though you got sneaky hit points, you just go back to your form. You okay. don't die. Okay, all right. Well, that's and, good. And so that's a way of basically, if you've got some way of doing animals, you've got... Um, you're getting the extra hit points there. Mm -hmm. uh, um, and one of the things that I really like is the, the Druid of the Moon allows you to have much higher level, I think it's like like half your level CR, so you can get some of the medium-sized animals pretty quickly. Huh. Uh, and so I like um, uh, mountain goats. Okay, yeah, no, I, I, I like totally goats, get that. But you can also ram, and, and it's just fun to headbutt enemies. Yeah, and I also imagine that mountain goat's movement speed against difficult terrain is different. Yeah, it, it almost completely <laughs> eliminates that. And in one case, I nearly, um, it really sort of went against me because 
I got too far ahead of the party up the hill. Yeah. And so the, the goblin grabbed me, knocked me to the ground, and tied me up. So, you know, that, that, that can be kind of a mixed blessings, but this is like the first time I got to try it. No one else in the party knew I had it, so I just like burst out of a tent as a as this huge old mountain goat and just knocked this goblin like <laughs> 10 feet. Then ran up to get the next one, and then I got jumped. Well, that sounds like fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, druids. Anything else you want to say about druids before we uh, start talking about some other stuff? Well, and just, you know, historically, of course, druids were the priest class of, of the Celtic people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And Julius Caesar and his Romans really did a number on the Celts. Yeah. Uh, so part of it, and it kind of so that's terrible for historians mm -hmm. but a lot of that can still make it so mysterious that they can be put in to basically fit into the game however you want because we don't have a lot of accurate contemporary records about the druids that are not written by someone whose last name is Caesar, who <laughs> basically had a political agenda of why he went to war against them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But hey, we've got druids in D&D, &D, and they can get up to all kinds of cool stuff. Yeah, so... I, one of the classes I had in UCLA were druids in fact and fiction. Oh, cool. Very neat. When I lived in Eugene, Oregon, I knew a number of who said they were druids, and I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> and, 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 and more power to them, and, yeah. and if you're a druid, that's great. Oh, yeah. the, the fact is that they probably, and that's fine, I mean, it's 2,000 years later, they probably yeah. worship differently mm -hmm. than the Celtic druids, but we don't know, because like I said, the Romans just did everything they could to blot that religion out. Yeah, I've met people in Iceland who also uh, said that they were druids, and yeah, it's they they say that they worship like the old ways, and I'm like, okay, cool. So they're like, yeah, we're not um, Lutherans, and I'm like, oh, okay. So so do, so do the people on planet Drudeica. <laughs> Spaceball joke. Spaceball joke, yeah. So yeah, no funny thing, she doesn't look druidish. Druid, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I had to do that joke. So, everyone, thank you so much for coming and listening to me and Dave uh, talk about D&D &D and the Cthulhu Mythos. Uh, I might put a link up to some of the RimWorld I played. I played a little bit and uh, had a solo character who crash-landed and then promptly died. <laughs> I'm working the nerve up to do another one. I I, I might throw if if, if if anyone asks, I'll throw up the uh, the uh, RimWorld YouTube video up on the uh, regular page there. And hey, uh, Glary's got some great deals going on, so check that out. Twenty five percent off, and uh, yeah, yeah, check check out the uh, page on Facebook to find out the uh, code for the the, the coupon code. And let's see, I've also got it on Facebook and Instagram and the uh, Twitterverse. So that's where you can find us, that's where you can find projects that we've got going on. We've got links to everything Dave and I are working on. And of course, uh, 
the 11th of September, Dave and I are going to be in Portland, Oregon at Rose City Comic Con talking about Cthulhu and comics and of course uh, the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival. Nothing's been okayed yet, but uh, Dave and I have like thrown a bunch of stuff out there. And if you're going to be there, you're going to see me all over the place volunteering for this and that. And you'll see Dave skulking around in the dark. <laughs> I'm a professional skulker. Yeah. And I uh, know you'll probably see me and Dave hanging out at some point in time. Hopefully we'll have buttons and stickers. And Copper Cow Coffee. Check them out. And who else? Uh, Curvy Girl. Yeah, you know Curvy Girl? You love a Curvy Girl? Curvy Girl fashion is where it's at. They've got all kinds of daytime, nighttime, evening wear, uh, casual wear, whatnot. They've got it. Curvy Girl. Check them out in the show notes. Uh, oh, goodness. We've got so much good stuff. Taza chocolates from Somerset, Massachusetts. Chocolate from Lovecraft Country. But Lovecraft Country isn't real, so you don't have to worry about it being weird or gross. So, yeah. Get some chocolate and then give it to your friend and be like, yeah, it's from Lovecraft Country. And then they nervously eat it. And you tell them, you know what's in that, don't you? And then while they're, like, eating it, you go, stone ground chocolate <laughs> anyway Taz of chocolates check them out in the show notes hey if you're looking for coupons or deals or anything like that let me know and i will hook you up with a coupon and of course we are brought to you by uncle owen's goat farm if you are looking for stuff to be cleared in the oleander area uh talk to uh, me. I'm generally over at the cemetery, and then I'll, I'll, I'll ring Dave up so he doesn't have to, you know, stop what he's doing with the goats and the farm and whatnot. And yeah, yeah, um, we've, we've got various ways to get a hold of Dave, and if you need blackberries cleared, if you need stuff like that cleared in Oleander only, he's not gonna drive 12 mile, uh, 12 hours north to, uh, I don't know, uh, what's 12, 12 hours north of here, Canada? Uh, okay. Okay. He's not gonna drive to, <laughs> Victoria, B.C. to, uh, you know, eat your blackberries, but, you know, maybe he will, if, if, if you're paying enough, and if you're gonna make go to stars, you know, because a lot of stuff's filmed in that. Anyway, thank you again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. We have been your hosts, DB and former Dave. Anything you have to say before we leave, Dave? No, other than we'll see you again soon. All right, all you druids, clerics, barbarians, and bards, have yourself a good day, a good commute. Hope uh, that salad you're working on right now works out. Uh, you clean the house. I hope I hope it, it, it smells lemony fresh. And everyone who's on their way to work or just listening to this as 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 the podcasts on their on their pod player just go through their day. I hope I'm 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 great that Dave and I are great background noise. Anyway, uh, help the show, support the show, go to the show links and find out how to support the show and help keep our our costs down. And uh, let us know what you're thinking. Let us know. Go to pgttcm.com and find out everything. 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 Bye. Bye. That was a good episode.
And also remember, check the show notes, click those links, and find out how you can support the show. We've got a Patreon. We've got a direct link to PayPal. We've got sponsors that you can buy. Donner is having some really good deals right now. And also, I would have to say, check out Copper Cow Coffee. And uh, there's a Stone Ground Chocolate Company in there that you should check out called Taza. Uh, Stone Ground in Lovecraft Country. And uh, yeah, they've got some really good flavors. They don't use dairy. They use uh, vegetable-based milk instead. So mm. it's vegan. Taza Chocolates, Somerset, Massachusetts. Uh, we've also got stuff from Curvy Girl. We've got Golden Goat CBD gummies and uh, other stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, if you're looking for a way to advertise on your website, on your podcast, whatever your projects are, your YouTube page, uh, why not go to Share Sale? That's where I get all my sponsors from and pass the savings on to you. You can find that. You can advertise your projects. You can advertise your website, your products, any of that stuff. So check out the show notes. And Dave and I will see you next time. Anything you want to say before we uh, head out into that night again? I said that before, no, but... Yeah. Good night. Bye. Bye, everyone. All music by D.B. Spencer. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio.